0: Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review, and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. And the verse of
1: scripture that we particularly want to call attention to is the 15th verse of that 24th chapter. As a matter of background, before we read it, you will recognize that this is after the resurrection, and two of his disciples are going to the village where they live, the little village of Emmaus, just a short distance from Jerusalem. And as they went along, the 14th verse says that they talked together of all the things that had happened. Remember the things that had happened with the crucifixion and the resurrection. And they have heard of all of these things and were part of that experience. And the 15th verse then becomes the key for us this morning. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus drew himself near, drew near, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. May the Lord add this. Blessing his blessing to this portion of his word, let us unite together in just a moment of prayer. Lord God, we're thankful for the experience of this day, for we have felt your presence in our midst, and we're so grateful for this congregation who have come to share in the outpouring of your continuing blessing upon us. Whatever the needs are of any heart and soul in this congregation today, we pray that you will deal mightily with us all. For anyone who is not saved today, may this be the day of a new beginning. For those who are burdened and troubled by all of the affairs of life, the problems of family and work, and our personal problems of sickness, whatever distresses we may be facing, we pray, our Father, that today we would lay those burdens all upon you Because we feel you in our midst. We know that you are the mighty answer of prayer. So bless this service this morning, our Father, in a special way, we pray in Christ's name. Let me ask you, how many of you know somebody who is blind? Could you just raise your hand? About a half a dozen or so of us know someone who is blind. Blindness is one of the tragedies of life. I only know one individual personally who is blind, a friend of mine. I've been in many discussions with a lot of people as to if something were going to happen to me, what choice would I make had I if I had the choice? Would I choose to be deaf? Would I choose to be lame? Would I choose to be blind? If I had to make one of those choices. I'm not sure a choice I would make if forced to do so. For all of the qualities of life that are important, each one of these seems to be very, very important. The inability to be mobile would be devastating to me. The inability to hear would be devastating, but the inability to see, I I think, would be the most devastating of all. I might not say that if I were faced with one of those three, but, but I believe that blindness perhaps is, in my mind, would be the worst thing that could possibly happen to me physically. Not many of us know anyone who is physically blind, but if I would ask you this question, how many of you know someone who is spiritually blind, we would all have to admit that we know such. And this is the greatest tragedy, not physical blindness, but the inability or the unwillingness of a person to spiritually see things. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 3, the Lord spoke to the churches of Asia Minor, and particularly in chapter 3, to the church of the Laodiceans. And he talked to them about being people that were lukewarm. And he said to them that he wished in their spiritual life that they were either cold or hot. He did not desire or want anyone who was lukewarm. I'm afraid most of the time all of us would be spewed out of his mouth because we are usually lukewarm in our spiritual relationships. He goes on in the 17th verse to say, that they did not know that they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And here is the great tragedy, and I'm emphasizing the word blind this morning, that they in the church of Laodicea, And many people that we know do not even know that they are spiritually blind. Physical blindness a person will have to obviously understand and know that he is blind. But there are many people who are going around in darkness not knowing that they don't see clearly because they are spiritually blind. And in the 18th verse of that third chapter of Revelation, he gave some very definite counsel. What better counsel can one guess than the counsel of the Lord? And the counsel was that you buy of me and anoint your eyes with eyes salve that you might be able to see. And in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 11 he says this. He that Hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What is darkness but sin? And sin has blinded the eyes of multitudes of people when they don't really see the truth as it is. Many of you in recent weeks and months who have become Christian have made very similar statements to what I'm about to say, and you have uh, come up with a statement something like this, I cannot believe that I was so blind so long. When light suddenly shined into your life and you realized what it was to believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as Savior, a whole new revelation of life was opened. And you saw things clearly for the first time in your entire life. You knew what life was about and what the future is. Because you have had eyes that were opened, you came out of darkness into light. Well, here were two of the disciples, not apostles, but disciples a man and his wife, who were going from Jerusalem back to their hometown at Emmaus after the episode of Good Friday and Easter Sunday, they were distraught, downhearted, to the point that they did not see Jesus when he was in their midst. I make this reference to say this. We don't see him when he's sitting beside us. We don't recognize him when he's in our midst. I believe that we have come this morning as Christian people. But we probably, many of us, are like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. So caught up and tied up in our own personal concerns and affairs and worries and problems and distresses. We don't even know that Jesus is present. I would like to suggest this morning that for this little while that we try to get away from ourselves and if I might use the phrase into the spirit in order that we could see Jesus when he's present. For he's here this morning. If you have not felt him this morning it's because you're too tight up in yourself he's here. The scripture says where two or three are gathered together in my name there will I be in the midst and will come as a a large congregation of people to worship and praise the Lord. So here they were in their distress disappointment they didn't even see. As they're going down the road a stranger stranger. This sort of comes by and joins in with them as they walk down the road. He recognizes and sees the distress in them, how distraught they were and unhappy they were, and he inquires of them as to why they are expressing so much sadness they say, "Have you not understood? Do you not know? Are you a stranger here? Have you heard the news of the crucifixion? Our Savior died on the cross, and this stranger begins to teach them. A person that they did not know was in their presence later." when they reflected back upon the experience on the road, they said, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us by the way and as he revealed the scriptures to us? If you feel a strange feeling, something beginning to happen to bring you out of that period of distress and, and sadness, and somehow begin to lift your spirits, it's because the stranger in your midst is the Lord Jesus. Yes, the Lord is in this place. Back in the Old Testament, Moses looked off in the distance as he attended the flocks of his father-in-law, Jethro. He saw a bush that It didn't consume, it just continued to burn. And he said to himself, I will go and see what is going on here. And he rushed over to the bush, and out of the bush came a voice and said, Moses, take off your shoes, for the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. I think it's time for us in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls to take our shoes off and know that we're in the presence of the mighty God. But oft times we rush in where fools uh, where, where, or fools rush in, where angels fear to tread, and we're like that. We're like Peter who rushed to the tomb and went right in immediately without even stopping, stopping to wonder what was causing this empty tomb. It's time for us to pause and realize that This morning, the presence of God is here in the person of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, the stranger who walked the roads with the two disciples. I want to say four things about the presence of the Lord this morning. One I've already alluded to, that Jesus is present when we assemble in his name. Matthew 18, verse 20 says, When two or three are gathered together in my name, where I will be in the midst. The disciples had gathered together in his name in the upper room, but Thomas was absent. The Lord himself appeared and showed himself to the disciples, the apostles. Later, when Thomas came back, they said to Thomas, The Lord was here, but Thomas' reaction was, I won't believe it until I can put my fingers into the nail prints in his hands and thrust my hand into his side. In other words, he's saying, I want to feel his presence for myself. The next time, Jesus appeared when Thomas was there. Jesus said, come on, Thomas. Take your finger. Put it into the nail Trust your hand into my side and feel me and know that I'm real. It's time that we stop in the midst of our busy days when we're together as a body of Christian people. With our heart, reach out and feel the literal presence of Jesus. Secondly, the Lord is near in His Word. They said that as Jesus walked with those two disciples, that He revealed to them the Scripture. Sometimes the Bible becomes a bore. It seems to some people, to the point it must be a bore. It seldom ever opened and read. But those of you who have been in Bible study on a few occasions, we'll discover, you can remember back with me, the tremendous enthusiasm that the group has had in Bible study as we talked about His Word. A few weeks ago, we had the most dynamic experience in a Bible study that I think I ever had. It became a group counseling session and people were saying but my problem is what can you do when somebody over here was giving advice and counsel and back and forth everybody went in talking because the word of God became alive in our midst this is an exciting book because it reveals the person of Jesus Christ and it's a path way, a guide for our path. If we need answers, we need to go to the Word of God. And when in the Spirit we read and pray, we will find that the Lord is going to speak to us and the words will almost jump from the pages as He deals with us in our time of need. The Scripture says, faith comes by hearing. And healing by the word of God. That's what it's all about. Thirdly, we say that Jesus draws near at home. As they went along the road, they finally came to Emmaus, to their house there over the side of the road, and they paused to go in the house. Jesus pretended as if he would go on down the road, but the scripture says they constrained him. They insisted that he come in. You know, if there is any place in our lives that we need Jesus, it's got to be in our home. It's got to be there. Oh, we know he's here. Yes, this is his house. We would expect him to be present within these walls as we meet, but is he present in our home? Do we find him there? I've seen little signs that people have that says Jesus is the head of the house. Is he really? I've seen other ones that say that he is the unseen guest at every meal. Is he really? Suppose Jesus knocked at the door of your house today, what would your reaction be? For some of you, you would screw around trying to find the Bible to put it out in the prominent place so it would be obvious you believe it has some importance. For some, it may be putting away some things that you wouldn't really want him to see. Some reading materials that aren't exactly what you would ask the Lord to pick up and read then there would be the other things that we would want to do to get the dirty clothes out of the floor and put away, to straighten the house up, to make it look nice and beautiful. But listen, Jesus sees us exactly as we are. And we can't straighten up and put out the proper literature and do all of those things without his being aware of the fact that we're trying to put on a front You can straighten up for family and friends and they will think that we're the most uh, neat and uh, clean people in the whole community. Nothing is out of place. That's foolhardy to think that anybody lives that way. We don't live in that sterile society. We live with our dirty clothes draped over the chair once in a while, do we not? And we live with dust under the couch and under the bed and the bed's unmade. This is life. And it's nice for us to straighten up and get things ready for company, but Jesus sees us the way we live day by day. And we ought to be capable of opening the door and inviting him in to share with us in our life as we live. And if there are those things in our home that are not the way they ought to be, It certainly is time for us to evaluate the way we live and straighten up our home, our lives, and present ourselves acceptable unto the Lord at all times. If there is any place that Jesus is needed, it's where children are influenced and parents are influenced. He ought to be a part of that home scene. All of us go through family problems. Given this congregation, whatever how many there are, I suppose around 75 or so here this morning, maybe 80, I suspect that somebody in this congregation had a family battle before you got to church this morning. There's a husband and wife somewhere who's had a bitter argument already today. There are kids and moms who didn't get along this morning. There are dads and kids that have had some pretty serious discussions. And words were flying. Things aren't the way they ought to be. Listen, if Jesus were a part of the home scene and allow him to be in control, we would not need marriage counselors, psychiatrists, and other people to go to, we would be able to live our lives the way they ought to be lived because the greatest counselor is Jesus Christ if he were really a part of our lives as he ought to be. Lastly, Jesus draws near in time of need. Some people have the mistaken idea that a Christian ought to have an easy life. The Lord ought to take care of us. But it just doesn't work that way. The Scripture says that it's going to rain on the just and the unjust alike. To put it in perspective, we are going to live in this world facing all of the problems that anybody might face as a human being. And no difference, no uh, protection from the Lord. We will face the rain and we will face the sunshine. We will face family problems. We will face financial crisis. We will face all of those things. None of us are going to escape them. The difference is we as God's children have a resource (laughs) to depend upon in times of need. We have got a foundation. Back in the Old Testament... Book of Daniel, there were three Hebrew young fellows, I think just out of their teens, probably, my imagination of them, who absolutely refused to bow the knee and worship the king, saying that they worshiped God only. The penalty for failure was to be cast into a furnace where they melted down iron or metal. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three of the greatest people of all time. Not great because they were preachers, nor teachers, nor skilled in any manner, but great because of their faith. And they said, we will not bow the knee and worship Nebuchadnezzar, we worship God only, and whether or not God will deliver us from that furnace, we do not know, but we will not bow the knee. After much pleading and failure to convince them otherwise, the king ordered them cast into that furnace of fire. So hot was the furnace that it destroyed burned the men that were taking them to the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar looked into that furnace and he said, Did not we put three men in the furnace? But I see four. And the fourth man looks like the Son of God. Listen, he not only looked like the Son of God, he was the Son of God. I tell you, when we have need, if our faith remains strong, whatever that need might be, if our faith remains strong, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the fourth man, will be in our furnace. Son of God is there in time of need.
0: We must, like
1: Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, say whether he will deliver us from this fire furnace or not, we don't know we're not going to bow the knee to any foreign God. We're going to serve Jehovah. We're going to worship Jesus Christ. James 4.8 says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. But the question is, do we draw nigh to him? Because we have his assurance that he will be near to us. William Poole wrote a tremendous Just when I need him most is the title of it. First verse goes like this. Just when I need him, Jesus is near. Just when I falter. Just when I fear. Ready to help me. Ready to cheer. Just when I need him most. Do you need him this morning? Are you in the fiery furnace? The fourth man draws near, stranger. He walks with you down life's pathway. And he will strangely warm your heart and comfort your soul and bring you out of your distress and trouble and turn your sorrow into happiness and distress into joy. Believe in him. Love him. If you don't have that capability this morning, it's because you're still blind. He counsels that you come to him and he will give you sight. to See life, really, for what it is. If you're not a Christian this morning, we're going to invite you to accept him as Lord and Savior. You don't have to wait until next week and revival starts. Do it now. Are you blind? Allow Jesus to give you sight. Are you distressed and distraught? Allow the strength Galilee to walk beside you. Let him open your eyes. Let the
0: fourth man. And-